And I hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bibles, I don't know what to say to you. This is a Bible study. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but there's condemnation with me if you don't bring a Bible study. No, I mean a Bible to Bible study. I'm kidding. It's really not that bad. There are some Bibles outside, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll go to the lost and found and get you one. We will. So, how many of you are ready to go through the book of Genesis? I want to just say a couple of things to kind of warm up here. Um, um, I'm going to take the liberty to go a little past eight if I need to. Now, I'm asking you all to bear with me. Genesis is going to take a little while. My wife was right. When I said eight weeks, I was barking up a tree. I did not know. <laughs> so it's going to take longer than eight weeks. But, you know, here's the deal, y'all. In a lot of churches, you're not going to be taught the Bible. And so we ought to consider ourselves fortunate and blessed that we're going through a whole book like this, and we're going to learn it. And so I'm going to ask you to bear with me. There's going to be times it's going to seem like we're going a little bit slow, but we're not. Like tonight, for instance. I'm going to spend a lot of time giving you kind of a broad sweep of the whole book. Just hitting the high points, telling you some things about it you need to know. And we're going to finish verse 1. Genesis 1-1. And after I have laid this foundation, we're going to be able to cook at a much faster rate. But I want to lay a foundation tonight. So I don't want to feel like I'm pressed. We're so used to having problems solved in a 30-minute time period, minus the commercials in the shows we watch. We're used to microwave this and that. But you know, you can't microwave a Bible study. And so I'm going to ask you to bear with me. Let me lay the foundation. And, you know, the Scripture promises that if we will saturate ourselves in the Word of God, everything we do will prosper. Everything we do. And so we're going to go through the book of Genesis, and I guarantee you it's going to bless you. You're going to learn some things you never knew. I want you to open your minds, open your hearts, let it just bowl you over. Because i got to tell you, there have been times in getting ready for this series, I just had to put it down and say, wow. Wow. God is so awesome. His word is so awesome. And so I think there's going to be some wows coming out of you as we go through this series. So let's stand tonight. And I want you to hold your Bibles in your hand. And if you're at Genesis, let's just read the first verse, and then I want us to hold our Bibles up, and we're going to pray over this series. Can we do that? So, let's read together Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's just hold it up. And say with me, Heavenly Father, you gave us this word. Open my understanding to the book of Genesis. Let your word wash my mind, edify my spirit, strengthen my faith, and guide my path. I receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to keep my soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated.
All right, a little background about this book, and then I'm, I've got a little bit some transparencies, some verses, and so on and so forth as we get into it. But the name Genesis comes from a Greek word meaning beginning. That's what this book is. It's the book of beginnings. Beginnings of everything. Uh, most of the blessings you and I receive right now, as a matter of fact, all the blessings, the blessings that we receive right now, have their roots in Genesis, what Genesis taught, revealed, and predicted. It was written by Moses sometime after 1440 B.C. So think, think about this. Fifteen centuries before Jesus Christ, Moses sat down and wrote Genesis. And not just Genesis, but uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he wrote it during the 40 years in the wilderness. So he made good use of his time. It was a frustrating time for Moses in the wilderness. But he wrote what we call the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. Uh, the Pentateuch meaning book or, or five books or having five books. I was talking to Kathy the other night. We were talking last night, as a matter of fact. And I thought, you know, here's one of the things that wowed me thinking about this book. Moses wrote in the wilderness. And I want you to think about all that preceded that. That means that when God called Abram, out of Ur of the Chaldees, and said, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he left and started walking, not knowing where he went. Abram had no Bible. There was not one verse, not one verse of the 66 books you hold in your hand, not one verse had yet been written when Abraham was declared the father of our faith. He did not have a promise book. How many times do we go to the Bible... I go every day, every morning, like I'm digging for gold, and I find gold, and, and yet, why do I do that? To strengthen my faith, strengthen my understanding, illuminate my heart, so that I can better follow God. And how many times does the Word of God encourage me and you, build our faith? All the time. Abram had no Bible. Isaac had no Bible. Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel, when he was about to re-enter the Promised Land and face his brother Esau, and, and here he is dealing with an angel from God. Jacob had no Bible. Sodom had no Bible. Yet God judged them for their sin. They had no Bible. When Moses saw the bush that burned but was not consumed, he had no Bible. When he declared in Pharaoh's household, I refuse to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and it says in the book of Hebrews, he identified with Christ and separated himself from Pharaoh's household and set himself apart with the people of God. He had no Bible, not one verse. When I think about God sending those plagues, one plague after another after another, how about the cloud by day, the fire by night? How about the parting of the Red Sea? when all of these incredible miracles and manifestations of God's power were taking place, they had no Bible. Hard to comprehend. I can't imagine, and, and, and the patriarchs alone, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the sons, all the visitations from angels, what they knew God was telling them to do, it was all God dealing with their spirit, speaking to them in dreams, prompting them by the moving of the Holy Ghost, but they had no Bible. 
Wow! As I've already told you, when the writer refers to the, the book of the law, when you hear about the book of the law, he means all five books which the Jews have always seen as one book. Now, we call it the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, but when the Jews refer to it, they refer to it as one book and they call it the Torah. The Torah. And they don't give it five names. It's one book to them, and really, if you want to better understand what we call the Pentateuch or they call the Torah, read it as one book. We separate it into five, but I think it's best read as one book because that's what it is. It's the book of Moses. Jesus refers to Moses in John chapter 5, and the only reason I want to read this tonight is because it's very important, I believe, as we get into Genesis, that we realize that Jesus validated Moses. Jesus validated the ministry, the teaching, and the writings of Moses. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. John 5, 45, it says, Do not think, Jesus is talking here, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you say you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would also believe me, for he wrote about me. Moses wrote about me, and we're going to see that in Genesis 3.15, among other places. Moses writes down the very first prediction of the coming of the Messiah, who would do battle with the serpent and defeat him. He said in verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Folks, he put, he put his words, or let me put it this way, he put Moses' words on par with his he said, if you don't believe him, you're not going to believe me. So how important are the writings of Moses? It is the inspired word of God. All scripture is given by Theonoustos, breathed out of God. And it's profitable. So I want you to see that Jesus totally validated what we're about to get into for the next uh, couple of months, several months. We're going to see that Jesus said, read Moses, because he wrote about me. If you believe him, you believe me. Moses was not only magnificently called of God, but he was brilliant. Acts 7.22 says that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. When you read Moses' resume, it's incredible. He was a shepherd. He was a leader. He was a legislator. He was a soldier. He was a statesman. He was a writer. He was a revelator. And he was called in the Bible the meekest man on the face of the earth. As an excellent introduction to the whole Bible, Genesis, here's what Genesis gives us. Genesis gives us the answers for the universal questions we're hearing about today. I read this week. I just had to hang my head and say, oh, that's about right. They came out with a news story saying that Harvard University has now released a million-dollar-a-year study to find the origins of the universe apart from a creator. Shame on them, because Harvard was birthed in Christian theology and by Christian leaders. And yet now they're going to go spend a million a year to disprove God and, dis and show the creation came from something else. No, no. The Bible says the opening sentence, in the beginning, God. 
So Genesis answers the universal questions that are still plaguing us today. Look at this, a million dollars a year just to find the answer to what we're about to, to, to find out for ourselves. The questions surrounding these things, the origin of all living things, Genesis gives us that, as well as of the universe, sin, and the origin of evil in the world. Genesis gives us all of that. Without Genesis, our knowledge of God and creation would be woefully deficient. Without Genesis, there is so much that we understand as believers that would be darkness to us. We're going to see that Genesis tells us about the primitive history of mankind in three stages or three epochs. And I'm going to show you these three stages. And don't freak out on me because it's a few big words, but it's no big deal. We're going to learn together. All right? Now, the reason I'm showing you this is because Genesis is broken up into three, three sections. And this is the way we're going to approach the book. Now, say with me, antediluvian. Anytime you read about, anytime you read about um, life or the world between Adam and the ark, between Adam and the ark, if you're reading anything about it, they're going to call it antediluvian. That's just a fancy Latin word. Anti means before, diluvian means flood. So when you hear antediluvian, it just means before the flood. So you learned a big word tonight. Say praise God. Now, antediluvian just means before the flood. So from Adam to the flood is called the antediluvian period. Or the time where, where God dealt with mankind before Noah's flood. Genesis 1 through 6 covers that time period. Now the post-diluvian time period is after the flood. And it's dealt with in chapters 9 through 11. You say, well, where did 7 and 8 go? That's the flood. That's the flood. So the post-diluvian time period is after the flood. God is going to show us the history of mankind in a great broad sweep, what it was like after the flood and before the flood. Now, after Genesis 11 comes Genesis 12 and what we call the patriarchal time period, and that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph, Simeon, Levi, Judah, so on and so forth. Those 12 sons and the Three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, makes up the patriarchal time period. Now, if you took out those three time periods, it covers about 2,500 years. 2,500 years in the patriarchal time period. Before Noah's flood, in the antediluvian time period, we see Adam and Eve living in glorious innocence and unparalleled fellowship with God. Tragically, they fall into sin. And we're going to really look at that fall when we get to that place in this study. They fall into sin. Genesis tracks the rapid and the shocking deterioration of the human race until in chapter 7, God destroys everything on earth but two of every species through the great and the tragic flood. That's the antediluvian time period. Now, get into Genesis. Here's the way it is. I heard it described this way once, and I think it's really true. You know how you take off in a plane when you're sitting there on the runway, and he guns it, and you start going, and you first take off. Remember, notice how everything is going past you quickly. Zoop, 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 zoop. Too quick. But then once you get up there at about 30,000 feet, everything just kind of goes slow, where it seems like 
we're getting nowhere. Where is Hawaii? <laughs> and then when you land again, you get to a certain place, and all of a sudden, what looked like slow motion goes jit, jit, jit. Now, when you're dealing in Genesis, the first 11 chapters, it's like you're taking off in a jet because huge periods of time, 17, 1800 years, are covered. Zoop, 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 zoop. Epics are covered quickly. But when you hit a, uh, chapter 12, and he focuses in on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the proliferation of the Hebrew race, it's slow. We get into personalities, we get into characters, we get into drama, we get into family conflicts, we get into all these things, and we start going much more slowly. That's the way it is when you're going through Genesis. So the first 12 chapters, or first 11 chapters, we're going to be dealing with huge, epical events. Just like that. Amen. After the flood, in chapters 9 through 11, we're left with Noah, his wife, and three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now follow carefully, because this is an overview of Genesis. This is post-Diluvian. After the flood, all that's left is Noah, his wife, and their three sons. Genesis follows the fortunes of this one lone family until it sees their descendants dividing off into nations and spreading far and wide across the earth. And you can read all about the genealogies of Sham, Hem, and Japheth in chapter 10. They populate, ladies and gentlemen, the whole earth. Their descendants populate the whole earth. The whole earth was populated by Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Nations came from them. In chapters 12 through 50, in the patriarchal time period, Genesis focuses exclusively on one man named Abram and his offspring, and they're called the patriarchs which marks the beginning of the Jewish race. You want to know where the Jewish race began? Read chapter 12, verse 1, and Abram. We call this the patriarchal age, and it's the beginning, chapter 12 is the beginning of God's plan of redemption that he promised in Genesis 3.15. He's beginning to work out the plan of redemption, bringing a Messiah into the world, starting at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It begins... He puts it into action then. You shoot down towards the end of Genesis, in Genesis 49, verse 10. Old Jacob, he's lost his sight. He's called Joseph to come to him and the other 11 sons. And he begins to bless all of his sons. He lays hands on them. And some of them, he doesn't give them a very good blessing at all. He, he tells the truth about them, and it, it's not something that gave him a warm fuzzy, I can promise you that. But he comes to Judah, and he prophesies over Judah that the scepter, that means the, the rod of government and righteousness and rule, will not depart from Judah until the Messiah comes. And Genesis ends with Jacob predicting that from the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah who was going to handle the sin conflict that was in the world. And then the book of beginnings ends. Amen? 
All right, so I'm going to deal with this book with those three time periods. When we're in one of them, I'm going to tell you we're in it. We're in the antediluvian period. This is the period before the flood. Here's what happened. Then the post-diluvian. Here's what happened. And then the patriarchal period. Here's what happened. Here's what God was doing. Now let's begin at the beginning, Genesis 1.1. And I've got it right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't it? amazing. I don't know where Moses was. when he, Perhaps he was out. Now, he was in the wilderness. Perhaps he was outside of his tent. Maybe the fire by night, the supernatural fire that God had caused to follow them at night in the cloud by day, maybe that fire was up there at night, and he was just looking at the power of the manifestation of the glory and the protection and the illumination of God by a supernatural fire. And then maybe from there he looked into the stars and maybe then the Spirit moved on him, and this incredible human being, chosen of God, wrote down the words, hmm. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the first verse in the Holy Bible tells us emphatically that God Almighty created all things, heavens and and earth. The first verse. I mean, if you can't get past the ver first verse, you can't read the rest of the book. So the first verse is a stumbling block to this generation because Genesis is the origin of all things, so Darwin came along and called it the origin of the species, and he gave credit to some process called evolution. But not Moses. Moses, moved on by the Spirit of God, said, no, the origin of all things was God Almighty. He created it. And how powerful was the creation? What exactly did God do? The beginning, the beginning Moses refers to is the first appearance of earth and the heavens. Now watch this, y'all. The day and the hour they came into being is when they began. They haven't always been. The earth, the stars, the universe, the galaxies, the incredible, stupendous, awe-inspiring creation of God the universe, galaxy upon galaxy, we still haven't been able to see to the end of it. One day had a beginning, and it was not a big bang. It was God saying, let there be, and he flung the stars into space, and he scooped out the valleys, and he, as one poet said, spat out the oceans. It came from God. The heavens and the earth had a beginning. Now, how did God do it? God created ex nihilo. I put it down here so you can learn another big Latin word, but this is the way he did it, and you've got to understand this. Ex nihilo means something out of nothing. How did God create the world? Before, when there was nothing there but a gulf. When there was nothing there but a gulf, a chaos, nothingness. God spoke, and he brought something out of nothing. Something out of nothing. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. So the earth appeared from nothing. The Milky Way appeared from nothing. The sun appeared from nothing. They weren't, and then they were. Ex nihilo. Something out of nothing. The heavens 
refers to the sky where birds fly and jets fly and on into space where the stars and galaxies shout the praises of God. Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech. Night after night they show forth knowledge. What knowledge do the galaxies and the stars and the heavens show? The knowledge of the reality of God. I don't tell you how you could look up into those stars and those galaxies as a scientist and say it just came into being. Why in the world is Harvard spending a million dollars a year to try to prove that this happens some other way than God? It's really not, y'all, a scientific issue. It's a faith issue. They don't want to accept that God Almighty did it because if they accepted that, then they've got to also come to terms with submitting their lives to the Creator God, and they don't want to do that. So they're going to spend a million dollars a year that could be put to feeding poor children, starving children, finding some cure for AIDS, doing something good. They're going to spend to try to find out or prove that God did not do this. But the Bible says ex nihilo, something out of nothing. He spoke, and it was. Amen. They sprang from nothing by the command of God. Now when he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the word used for God is Elohim. And the pronunciation, pronunciation is right there, Elohim. The root El means strong and prominent. In Numbers 23, 22, God is spoken of as the El. El, who brought Israel out of Egypt. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, we read that Jehovah, your Elohim, is God of gods and Lord of lords. The God, the God, or El, who is great, mighty, and dreadful. It is also one of the names given, and this is really, really important, y'all, and there went my transparency. I knew that was going to happen. Thank you, Ron. Can I get you just to hold the end of it there, Ron, just for a second, because it's going to slip out from under me? And here we go. Look at Isaiah 9-6. This is so powerful, y'all. Now here's Isaiah preaching and predicting the ministry and the personality of Jesus. Unto us, let's read it together, it's a great Christmas verse. Unto us a child is born. Let's move it up there, Ron, just a little bit. There we go. Unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And I'm getting my other one. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. And what is the Mighty God? El. So look at this now. Isaiah is saying Jesus is going to be known as El or Elohim. So this is not just going to be a representative of God, somebody who stands for God or speaks for God. Isaiah is predicting that the same God in Genesis 1-1 who created everything you see, all matter, all the universe, the earth, and all that is in it, that same God is also in Isaiah 9-7. Elohim. He calls Jesus Christ Elohim. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. 
and the Prince of Peace. So when we worship Jesus, we're not just worshiping an idea or a philosophy or a good person who lived one day. Listen, God wrapped himself in skin. And he was born in a manger. He visited planet Earth. It was a heavenly, divine invasion of planet Earth. And Jesus was Elohim. The same God involved in creation. Good time to say wow. Elohim not only expresses greatness and glory of God, but it also contains the idea of creative power, omnipotence, and sovereignty, because from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-4, only Elohim is used to identify God. There's no other Hebrew name used to identify God. Not Jehovah, that comes later. Not Theos, that comes but Elohim exclusively in the act of creation, the only name Moses used for God was Elohim. 35 times in Genesis 1-1 to chapter 2, verse 4. It is the Elohim who by His mighty power creates the vast universe out of nothing, who speaks and it is done, who brings into being what was not. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote, let's read it together, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed, thoroughly completed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. In other words, folks, matter did not beget matter. Here's what he's telling us. The things you can see were made by what you cannot see. Well, then where did what we see come from? It came from God. And that was the original cause, the root. God spoke, and ex nihilo, something came out of nothing. And so the origin of everything you taste, hear, smell, see, all of that did not come from what we can see, taste, feel, or hear. It came from the invisible world. It came from a God who we cannot see. And yet, having not seen Him, we love Him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, I mentioned that Isaiah referred to Christ as Elohim, and that brings me to a closing point. I want you to look at Genesis 1, verse 2, because... Here's what we need to understand when we leave tonight, and it's going to help us to really move forward through Genesis. I want you to get this if you get nothing else. God created the heavens and the earth. But when we say God created the heavens and the earth, God has made it three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as you know, the Bible is very clear that God created the heavens and the earth, but it says in Genesis 1, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And who? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there was God said it, and I believe this is the way that God does everything. God said it, the Son amended it, 
and the Holy Spirit move. They move in unison. Now, people say to me, Pastor Jeff, I just don't understand how God can be three people or three separate entities and yet be one. Well, when you leave tonight, you're probably going to go out there and have a drink of water. Water can be drank as water, but some of you are going to put ice in it. Ah, but that ice, though a different manifestation, is still water. And when you get up in the morning, you're probably going to take a shower, and there's going to be steam. That steam is water, but a different manifestation. So you have water as ice, water as water we drink, and you have water as steam, but it's all water. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Different manifestations of one. Now, in the creation, it says the Spirit of God was there moving on the face of the deep. God said, let there be. Well, where does the Son come in? Look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. Isn't it interesting the way it begins? Just like Genesis 1-1. Let's read it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now people stop right there and they go, oh, that's not just talking, that's not talking about Jesus, that's talking about the Word of God, God speaking. No, because a word that God speaks is not a he. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Oh. Now, I believe that John knew exactly what he was doing when he started that verse within the beginning. Because he was thinking of Moses' words. Because they had now, John had the Old Testament. Now, he knew that Moses had begun the whole Bible within the beginning. God created. So what does he do? He uses the same phraseology in the beginning, moved on by the Holy Ghost, not a mental trick. He says, in the beginning was the Word. If you want to know how powerful this Jesus is who came and died for us and rose again from the dead, who we have given our lives for, who we are willing to die for, who we preach every day, Christ and Him crucified, you want to know? He says, in the beginning, that Jesus was the Word. And He was with God, God the Son, and He was Elohim. He was Elohim. Because Isaiah said, Elohim is what you're going to call him. He was Elohim and everything that was made was made through him. So God said it. It went through the Son. He amended it. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep. Good word. That is just so powerful. And you know, I got to tell you, as a 
preacher and a teacher of the Bible and one who has given a lot of my life to study it, I'm going to tell you, I just really, uh, it irritates me when I see so many people, even in, in what is called the church today, trying to de-deify Jesus. Is the scripture not crystal clear? He, he was Elohim. He was God. John says, hey, let me tell you who y'all are worshiping. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with him. Oh, I can handle that, but he was him. That's why Jesus could look at those Pharisees and Sadducees who were saying, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you how much greater I am than Abraham. Before Abraham even was. Not I was, but he gave himself an eternal existence he was back there, he's here now, he's in the future. He has no beginning, he has no ending. Before Abraham was, I am that I am, me was there. So, wow. So when God said, let there be light, there was our Jesus. Amen. It says all the promises of God are yea and amen through him who loved us. All the promises of God. So when God fulfills a promise for you and me, God speaks it, but it goes through the Son. They never act in conflict with one another. They are always in perfect unity. So when God blesses you or me by fulfilling a promise, it goes through the Son who says amen, and then the Holy Ghost is released to do it. That is just so powerful. So there's Jesus of Nazareth. There in eternity, sandwiched in between, where there was no time back there, and God's about to create the world and the universe and the stars. I mean, the Milky Way went through Jesus. The sun went through Jesus. The moon went through Jesus. All the galaxies, all the stars... The plants, the animals, the vegetable kingdom, plant kingdom, the, the fishes of the sea, the mammals, everything. God said, let there be. And the son said, amen. And then the spirit went, and something came out of nothing. Praise God. Praise God. So isn't it exciting when you're praying for God to do something? Say, oh God, I'm just asking you to this or that or the other. When God the Father says, let it be. And the Son amens it. I mean, the Spirit of God just moves. Isn't it interesting to think that He's hovering over our lives? Just like He's hovered over the face of the deep. And all He's waiting for is for the Word of God. And He moves. This is the way people were healed, delivered, the way Satan is rebuked, the way finances are released, all these things. Wow, that is such a powerful verse. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Well, that's Genesis 1-1. I gave you some background. Next week, we're going to look at the creation that Jesus was a part of. Don't miss it. 
because I'm telling you, it's going to be an eye-opener. I've seen some things I've never seen. Let's stand together. Can we just worship Jesus, who is Elohim, who is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that we're not following a cleverly devised fable. But Lord, you came as Elohim to this earth. And you saw our pain, touched us at the point of our need, had compassion on our travail and our plight and our predicament in sin. You died on the cross, and you could have called legions of angels as Elohim, who commands them, and delivered yourself, but you did not. And you spilled pure blood for the week of tonight, come into your presence. We thank you for it, Lord. And as we now venture out into this book, we know that, Lord, you were at the very beginning, and through you it all came. So we worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Just take a minute and just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. He's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He's the great El, the Creator, the Strong One, the Mighty One. We praise you, Lord. We bless you. I think it would be good if you would just say, Lord, in the next weeks and months to come, speak to me out of this book. I believe it's going to change my life. I want to learn about you. I want to learn about you. I want more of you. I want more of you. I'm hungry, Lord. I'm thirsty. I'm panting for you. I want you, Lord, above all else. Speak to me and renew my mind. Renew my thinking. Carry me the opposite direction that this generation is going. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Can we? Hallelujah. Amen. Well, you're all dismissed. Go out there and get water, if you want, or ice, if you want. Guarantee you just get in your car without the AC on, you got steam. So we'll see you all Sunday. God bless you. Have a great night.